Hi, I'm Talia and I am the host of Compassionate Conversations podcast series two. In series two, we will hear from inspiring people who work for and with young people. Each episode is designed to share ways of empowering the next generation to ensure they have the tools to go on to have mentally healthy futures. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media, Single Parents Wellbeing. Hi, Folliday. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So I'm just going to introduce Folliday before we get into it. So Folliday is the project manager for the Mental Health Foundation Young Leaders Project and other mental health projects. She is passionate about facilitating safe, non-judgmental spaces for young people to share their ideas and experiences. Folliday did an internship with them during her undergraduate studies and then joined the staff team in 2020. So this is going to be a really interesting and insightful conversation because Folliday was a part of the placement. And so she knows firsthand what works and doesn't work in terms of making young people feel safe enough to be themselves and feel known, accepted and empowered. I'm looking forward to hearing her journey to becoming the project manager and some of her ideas. So can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Hi, my name is Holiday. I'm 25. As mentioned, I'm a project manager at Leaders Unlocked. I also do some freelancing on other mental health projects. And yeah, I guess outside of work, what do I do? I think I'm still trying to build that up and actually develop a sense of stuff outside of what I do for work. But I'm reading, hanging out with friends. In GI, just generally trying to learn more about the work that I do, but also just more about the world that we live in and about myself. Yeah, I'll just quickly add in now because we mentioned just before we started this about you also doing the, is it Kalo yeah. project and how that, it just aligns so well with the work that you do as a project manager and how perfectly that fits with what you do. And can you tell us a little bit about that and how they just align so nicely? Yeah, sure. So Kalo is a project that seeks to understand the kind of like wider determinants that impact young people's mental health so we're doing that in both Newham and North Devon I've been on the project since March but it's been going on I think over a year now and I'll be transitioning into another role or back into my normal role after December but essentially it's really around community research trying to understand what is unique about being a young person in Newham and North Devon and what kind of things impact on their mental health and it's been really interesting kind of I guess being able to use some of the skills or knowledge that I've learned from my other role at Leaders Unlocked in this role and being able to build those relationships with the community understand how I guess similar things might impact young people differently depending on like their background or their experiences and what that means for them so I think it's been really great not only to build knowledge but really being able to sit with people's experiences and learn from people as well so people in community organizations who have been doing this work for a lot longer than I have and young yeah. people living this experience has been really interesting just to be able to learn from people yeah so I think both of the roles lend themselves quite nicely to be able to bring in knowledge that I may have had from my role or my studies but also knowing what that looks like in practice and yeah not necessarily coming in with my own assumptions about what the experience might be or, or should or should not look like. Yeah that's such a good point about like constantly learning from people's experiences. I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit but I'm just really interested and curious 
So like, what have you learned from these spaces that have helped just form what you do in within your work? That's an interesting question. What have I learned? I think I've learned a lot more about how systemic issues impact on young people's mental health. It's not that I didn't necessarily know it before, wasn't aware of it, but I think seeing how it plays out. So for example, how housing issue or systemic racism might impact on young person's mental health and how they navigate like their more interpersonal relationships so how those two cross over and we I think sometimes talk about mental health in such an individualized way so young people need to find ways to look after their mental health or people within certain communities need to just go to therapy or just reach out to a doctor but it's actually like what is going on on a systemic level that is impacting this young person or inhibiting this young person from seeking the help or getting the help they need and yeah I think I've just learned a lot more about how challenging it can be to try and I guess in a sense dismantle some of those systems who that have been around for centuries and yes working collaboratively with communities with young people stakeholders community organizations is really important and central to being able to reach like to reform certain institutions to better the experience for young people and working with people who have that experience already is crucial because like I mentioned before it's not about me me or other people coming in with assumptions about what the experience might look like and therefore what the response might be but it's really about working collaboratively and being able to know when to take a step back and let someone else lead or other teams lead or yeah just being able to have that open and listening ear as well as being like balancing that with the things that you the knowledge that you know you bring so I think generally I'm keen not to center myself in certain experiences but I think there are for example things within my own community as a black woman that I feel like I relate to that when I'm speaking to young people I feel like okay cool like, I understand that experience and might help for them to be able to open up and share so yeah it's been I guess I've said a lot but it feels really yeah insightful and a great experience to be able to be in that space of learning thank you for sharing that can you share us a bit of an overview of leaders unlocked and what the vision is yeah so leaders unlocked is a non-profit social enterprise that works with young people across various sectors and across the country so work across criminal justice education health and well-being policing and we also have a talent and diversity strand and do some other work in other areas as well and we I guess part of our vision is youth-led kind of working and young people being involved in decision-making and not just being involved in, but shaping and influencing decision-making, especially on things that impact their lives. So, for example, within criminal justice, what does criminal justice reform look like or mean for young people, particularly those of lived experience? Within health and well-being, what policy changes can happen to better support young people's mental health, what things can be done within education, can be done within communities. So it's really thinking on all levels, I think our work kind of spans across. So both well, looking at interpersonal, looking at the systemic, looking at what needs to change and what needs to be reformed. And yeah, I guess the vision is for more young people to be able to lead not only in decision-making, well, mainly in decision-making and being able to have their voices amplified across spaces where they're often shut out of or not heard in, but also that the organisation itself becomes even more youth-led. So I think there's a high percentage of 
the staff who have actually come from come through the projects that we run. So, for example, I came through the placement and project, the MHF Young Leaders project, and I managed. I came through that. Some of my other colleagues came through the MH2K project, which is a mental health project. So, yeah, there's a that transition and supporting young people to develop to become one their best selves, but also to become advocates and supporters for other young people as well is a really important part of our work and yeah our theory of change was developed by our youth group and thinking about what leaders needs to do and where we want to be in the next five years and that can also be found on our site as well I can share some slides with you after but yeah just having youth voice and youth involvement and collaboration with young people at all stages and every stage and that feels like part of our work in a sense is almost advocacy and reminding people of how to work with young people and having them involved in those key decisions whether it feels big or small and whether it's more community whether it's within the community or on a systemic level so yeah I hope that makes sense. So how do you encourage them to use their own voice to become change makers I suppose? Yeah so Internally, so I'll, I'll use the MHF Young Leaders Project as an example, but internally we'll run sessions alongside our partner organisations um, to be able to discuss, but also develop solutions to a problem. So, for example, if the policy team might approach us and say that they're doing some work around body image and young people's mental health, which is actually one of those topics that we've done, we'll then come together, discuss what some of the experiences might be, whether it's young person's experiences or people around them, and think about what my policy solution to this look like what kind of things can we put forward to government to be able to respond to this issue but also understanding that there are other avenues to be able to respond to certain challenges so for example what can they do within their community how can they work with their peers to be able to respond to some of those challenges so within that we might do some peer research where the young people go out and visit external organisations or speak to other young people from other areas, whether that's schools or colleges or different organisations or young people who you may not necessarily hear from and run peer research with them, whether that's through surveys or workshops to understand what their insights are and and gather their insights, be able to shape some of this work. Because I think one of the key things that we recognise and the young people recognise is that those who are in the room may not always be I guess in a sense representative of of all the experiences but they are there as almost like advocates or change makers but it's important to also bring in the voices of other young people who can help to shape and yeah better shape the solutions and responses to the challenges that we speak about but also might include bringing them to like roundtable discussions or conferences with decision makers so getting them in the room with decision makers to be able to ask questions to respond to things that the challenges that have been raised to bring the challenges into the room so some of the things that young people may be thinking about may not be what decision makers have at the forefront of their minds so really bringing in their voice and their experiences into that and lived experience is a key thing so we don't necessarily want to just have a room full of young people who may be out of touch with the experiences that we might be sharing or where it may not necessarily be something that they connect with but actually having those young people have that direct lived experience is important to be able to properly shape the work and knowing how to approach it because they have experience of it so for example if we're speaking to or with young carers understanding what their experience might be like and what the solutions might then look like in terms of how would they have liked to be better supported or how can we better support young carers um, 
mental health in light of their experience and they would be able to shape a much better response and much more insightful response rather than someone who isn't a young carer for example so yeah thinking about peer research internal kind of like sessions with partner organizations external kind of like conversations and being involved in decision making so going to roundtable events going to conferences having one-to-one conversations with decision makers or being in the room whilst we're having those initial conversations and shaping that work and I guess with the MHF Young Leaders in the next year of work we're really keen for them to be able to shape some proposals so being involved from the project inception rather than just coming in to review which is still helpful but I think one of the key things is having that sense of continuity and having them involved in shaping it from the beginning right through to the end so we did that with the loneliness campaign where they were involved in design where they were involved in developing like policy ideas which were actually then taken on by schools and Solihull as part of like integrating as part of their policies within schools to focus on the issue of loneliness of young people so yeah just finding and working with young people to understand what are the better ways that we can do this with you as well so not assuming that we have all the answers even if across the organization we have a range of experiences and years of experience mm-hmm. one of the key things essential is learning so learning from young people to understand what can we do better yeah yeah that's so good and can you take us back a little bit now and just share again how you got into the placement and how you ended up working and becoming the manager for that project, which is amazing. And just share us a little bit about your experience throughout, because I guess like, yeah, you must have just, ex- yeah, experienced it and being able to just take ownership of something that you're passionate about just, yeah, works amazingly. Yeah, definitely. I probably should first say that I didn't ever envision that I'd get to this point. I just imagined that I'd do the placement and that was it and I'd find like something else, hopefully. So yeah, I did the placement. I was studying psychology in my undergrad in Birmingham. And in my second year, I believe there was a email that was sent around from psychology tutors and lecturers about a project called MH2K, which essentially looks to understand the key issues that impact young people's mental health in that context was Birmingham and developing recommendations and through design days and peer research essentially across like different organizations schools and stuff like that they were to develop recommendations to respond to some of those challenges or to respond to some of the insights that we've heard from young people and people within the community so that was a really I guess opened my eyes to not only like I guess one working in third sector but also the different ways that you could approach the challenges and some of the key issues. So, for example, we might have been talking a lot about that kind of stuff in psychology, but what that looked like practically outside of the clinical space, I didn't really know or know much of or about rather. So, yeah, we would go into schools and run like design days or roadshows, essentially, where we were kind of collecting the insights from young people in schools and colleges and different community organisations and then come back together to understand or kind of work through what are the key things that have come up from this conversation, kind of analyse those and then develop recommendations in response to that and then hold like a showcase event to share what we learn and what we come across. And that was actually held in Houses of Parliament. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's uh, so good. Yeah. And how old were you at the time when you were a part of that? You was 20 or 21. It's not that long ago, so I shouldn't be... <laughs> <laughs> 
before. I think I was 20. I think I was 20, yeah. So, yeah. And then during that time, so the project was winding down, I was going into the third year. So I had opted to do a placement year because I just thought, okay, it might give me a better chance in terms of like outcomes when I graduate and stuff like that. So just in passing, I was speaking to the project lead and I was like, oh, I'm looking for, I think she was asking me, what are your next steps? And I was just, I'm looking for a placement, but I don't know where to go. I don't want to work in a clinical, but I don't know of many like organisations or third sector organisations apart from, I think the most come across as mind. Yeah. Because as a psychology student, you would assume that you will know everything there is to know about mental health and organisations, but I really didn't know what was out there. And then she was like, oh, I know someone in London called Rose and she runs an organisation called Leaders Unlocked. I could put you in touch and see if there's something that might want to like do a placement or get involved in it. So she's happy to take you on. So, yeah, I had one conversation. I sent over my CV after one conversation. The conversation was like maybe 15, 20 minutes. I think it was just her trying to get to know me a little bit more. I didn't really know what to say. I think looking back, I probably would have prepped a bit better, but I think I just kind of went <laughs> And I was like, you know, I'd really just like the chance. I'm really passionate about mental health, really like the chance to get involved with your organization. But I had no idea who they were. And I just kind of went for it. And I'm happy that it worked out because that could have been a completely different story. So yeah, so I did that, started the placement in 2018, and I did it for just under a year. So I finished in the summer of 2019. 2018 I'm getting the years mixed up and then I went after I finished that placement I went back to my final year of uni which was in September 2019 and joined the MHF Young Leaders Project and signed up in, at the end of 2019 December and started officially in January yeah and that's the project that I manage now so it was a smaller project and it was a pilot project so looking at how young people can help to shape decision making and development and delivery of programs at MHF. So we were working with the programs team and a little bit of research and we would be part of workshops and sessions and discussing some of the key ideas and topics that MHF was working on. So there was a report around that state of generation and understanding what young people's experiences are, what impacts on their mental health. And I found that I just really enjoyed being part of those conversations. I'm a lot more reserved and introverted. So I guess it was also a way to build my confidence through the placement and through part of being that project of just being able to be around other young people that I hadn't met before being able to speak up in a room full of people that I hadn't met before and like being I think just feeling validated through the responses that I got back so mm-hmm. Rose and one of my other colleagues well one of the people that run the project who then turned into my colleague once I came on and stuff just responding in terms of you know this really good point or really well done that's a really insightful idea and I think I hadn't really experienced that in other settings before so I think it was like oh, okay maybe I do have stuff that I can bring and maybe there are things that I'm saying yeah. yeah and then in 2020 I had finished my undergrad in the summer and then started a master's and then came on at the same time as a project assistant for the MHF Young Leaders Project and then in the following year moved up to project coordinator once I had finished my master's and then this year moved up to project manager so yeah it's been a pretty fast-paced kind of like development that's amazing and honestly you definitely have so much to bring like we had a networking meeting like I don't know a couple of months back and I was literally taking notes throughout our meeting. <laughs> and then me and my colleague were chatting after and we were like, we just have to bring her back for a podcast. So it's, yeah, it's so nice to chat to you again. Mm, thank you. 
And so nice to hear like the journey of how it just improved your own confidence. And now like you're able to just encourage that in other, in other young people. So yeah, that is so lovely to hear. Yeah. This has been, I think I wouldn't have been able to do it without like the support of my manager. So Rose, who's the CEO of Leader Unlock, who really has a way of being able to see what your strengths are, where you can build on and being able to like hone in on that and support mm-hmm. in that way. And I think, there's not a lot of people or there are some people maybe just don't know but there's not often a lot of people who work with young people in that way to not micromanage not like cap their capacity but being able to say okay your strengths are really in this area and these are the areas that you can build on to develop into strengths and this is a way that we can support you to do that and like being able to gently push me up my comfort zone so during my placement year being able to facilitate some workshops and colleges which I had never done before looking back I'm like I had where I've grown from since then till now is like a lot and it's immense and I think wouldn't have been able to be done without helping being shaped by like my colleagues and just being in that working environment in a, in a great and positive and nurturing space yeah which I think is super important when you're working with young people that you're nurturing not in a way that is parent-like but being able to see where their strengths lie and bringing that out from in them through different like exercises or activities or encouraging them to get involved in certain things or yeah and sitting down with them to understand how they might want to grow and where they want to get to and knowing okay what can I bring or how can I ask my colleague to maybe to support you in that way or what other things can we get you involved in to build that and yeah I think it's having that network of support around a young person is important so not just thinking it's you that knows it also there's certain things that I may not be able to support a young person with but I know there's several other people that might be able to so linking them up with people and supporting them to be able to network and take charge of their development as well yeah yeah that's so amazing from my experience I have it's actually quite similar because I started with SPW and it was only really for six months to start with. And then I was hoping if I got on with it, that it would, I'd be able to stay for longer and it did end up that way. And it just, yeah, my managers were so amazing. And so that's, that's the exact same approach that they took with me. They were just like figuring out my strengths and just like, I think they just kind of would just let me take ownership of things and let me just be because I'm quite creative and they would let me like just run with my ideas of things and I just I grew in a lot of confidence throughout that time so I yeah I definitely what would you say were your like top three favorite things that you like got from that placement I think exactly what you just mentioned so being able to take ownership of things so yeah whether it's like the whether it was designing questionnaires for a session that was going to be run with young people in a prison or being able to develop a workshop plan or agenda. And yeah, just being able to, through that, having ownership of things, I guess, leads into the next one of just being able to build skills that I didn't think I had or didn't think I'd be able to develop. So workshop facilitation or designing agendas or designing something creative to kind of go out as an output. Yeah, and I think the last one was, I think, just being able to network and meet different people and being in a space where that was encouraged and finding your style of being able to do that because I'm not necessarily the person to go up and shake my hand and beat with jazz hands and, you know, super open and extroverted, but actually being able to do that in a way that is reflective of my own kind of character or personality and not feeling like I had to change to be able to adapt to that space but being I guess 
supported where I was I was at that point so yeah it felt like a gentle way to be able to develop and like I had to completely change myself to be able to develop in a certain role and I think I feel I think this I guess is more than three but I feel like the standard of the management and ways of working has set me up to know exactly what I would want from a future employer and exactly what I what is allowed for me to expect and what I know is like okay well no this isn't good practice and actually this isn't what I would want from an employer or from a colleague or whatever the context is so I think it's just really been a great foundation to start off especially early on in my career to know exactly what to know exactly what I can say I want and being confident Mm -hmm. to be yeah that's so good that's such a good point and it's also I guess it's like especially because you're working really hard to improve ultimately the mental health of young people and it's just those certain things that you have to like to look after your own mental health throughout the workplace as well and just that's so important and yeah to have a just good level of care for yourself within that and it just really helps if like your managers set that up so they're really respectful of that How's your experience of that been? It sounds like it's been a really good experience. <laughs> yeah, it has been a really good experience at Leaders Unlocked. And I think, yeah, it's just, and I think it's also taken into account just my own, I guess, my own experience and I guess understanding how, I guess what I'm trying to say is that they're open to understanding different or new ideas. And I think, so particularly for me, what feels what is one of the passions of mine is that working to support young people from like racialized backgrounds particularly black young people in terms of their mental health and like I don't feel uncomfortable to have this kind of conversation because I feel like sometimes you can go into certain spaces and you're I'm in an iron about whether people are going to be open to hearing this and whether they're going to kind of respond that oh here we go again of course we're talking about you were having this kind of conversation but actually it's one of the things that is super important because we work with a really diverse range of young people from different experiences and backgrounds and oftentimes those experiences intersect um and race or ethnicity is an important factor for some young people in terms of their experiences and how their experiences have been shaped by that so yeah just being able to have those kind of open conversations and think about how we might do even more work in that space to support those kind of those young people without I guess it does also raise I don't know if we're going to go into challenges but yeah it just raises questions around how do you do that in an ethical way without kind of putting the responsibility on a young person from a racialized background to be the one to essentially like solve racism within mental health like how do you other institutions and other places that kind of bring these I guess that impact young people's mental health in that way or these communities mental health in that way to account and what can they do to change but you ask me you can't do that without the voices and experience of those who who are living it so yeah I think just to come back to my main point is that it's just really nice to be in an open space where you can have those conversations and it's not struggled off and there is active work happening to respond to those challenges and yeah that being that myself what other colleagues might be involved in kind of like shape and what that looks like so yeah yeah thank you <laughs> what are kind of the like the needs from racialized backgrounds that you can notice are 
like understandably slightly different from people who have different experiences different backgrounds is there like a key theme like that coming through for your conversations that you know is is quite common to that experience hmm. I think from some of the young people that we've spoken to and of course this is I don't want to frame this as like this is the experience of every single regular person yeah from the young people that we've spoken to and from what they tell us about their own other experience and obviously my own experience as well just feeling like being indoctrinated that you need to work twice as hard to get to where you want to get to and even then it may not be the case so like being often prone to burnout or for like worse mental health outcomes within like workplaces or schools or whatever other institutions because of that need to like feeling like you need to perform and prove yourself because there are already barriers or assumptions or stereotypes made about you because of your race and particularly important to think about how that then intersects with like gender or sexuality or being neurodivergent so yeah there's been other conversations that we've had around kind of finding alternative forms of support so not just relying on like talking therapy but what other ways can young can young people but also these communities be supported around their mental health and a lot of young people beyond just young people from like certain racial backgrounds have spoken about a lack of trust in mental health services and not receiving the help that they needed from these mental health services and it can at times feel like challenging like how do you respond to this because this is beyond just us this is a systemic issue in the people who should be making the difference people that should be investing and changing don't seem to want to do that so yeah those sometimes challenging but yeah I guess those are some of the things that have come up and young people tell us that they kind of sometimes don't always feel heard or maybe feel uncomfortable about having those conversations around race but there's a lot around the differences in for example we had a conversation around or have been having conversations around shame so thinking about what that might look like across different cultures or what that might feel like for a young person, for example, from a South Asian background or for from an island in the Caribbean or somewhere in, um, in an African country and how often those experiences overlap, but there are differences. And I think some things that highlights to me and to other young people is that the need to recognise that people from racialized backgrounds are not a monolith and that there are even if the experiences kind of like overlap or feel quite similar, there are differences in what it's rooted in or how it might impact a young person. So being able to, which is a challenge in itself, but being able to respond to those differently and not like flatten people's identities to just this experience or to just being. So yeah, I think even just in myself and my approach, I think it's also just allowing space for them to share without me bringing in my assumptions. I might say, okay, I relate to that. Mm-hmm. Or I might share an experience, but not assuming that because I've had the experience that they will too. But also being able to balance that with showing that I do understand and I do support you and I do get where you're coming from and I hear you and how can mm-hmm. we work together to respond to that. Or sometimes not even about responding, sometimes just sitting with that experience and holding that space for the young person, which again moves beyond just those from racialized backgrounds but obviously in this context we're talking about them and how what experience they might share so yeah I've said a lot I'm hoping that makes sense. yeah no that makes total sense that makes so much sense and I on another podcast recently I had an amazing conversation with somebody who raised that same point and they said how much of a barrier it is when people just make assuming comments even about faith and how assuming somebody from like a certain background almost assuming that every single person has the same faith and that's rubbish like 
there's so many different faiths that people could have just to not yeah to not assume they sound they just yeah it, it must be so irritating but to be fair I sometimes I experience because I'm a Christian and even within Christian faith there's so many different strands within Christianity and a lot of people make instant I don't know little remarks to me they're like oh no I'm smoking are you like does that offend you and like little comments like that but I think it is yeah it's such a frustrating thing when people just make assuming comments do you have any advice for how organizations especially like maybe even just youth organizations and other third sector organizations and around mental health can have more beneficial conversations around race that isn't assuming and isn't like offensive in any way but is actually really proactive and encouraging and just that would make people feel comfortable just to be able to open up and share their experiences and to for people to be able to like really understand and find common grounds as well yeah I think before I respond to that I think there was something else I wanted to add around like the differences like across generations as well so those intergenerational differences and how that then might impact or shape how young people and maybe older generations from racialized backgrounds you mental health will have conversations around mental health for example and then impacts on that help seeking and, and all that kind of stuff so yeah I guess in that way it's I guess the first thing I would say is to be proactive in them educating themselves so there's loads of books or resources or infographics or whatever might be easily digestible to them that have been created by people from these backgrounds or by people in these spaces and not always necessarily those from racialized backgrounds but have been created about these experiences and I feel like it's important that there is an active almost like there's active work going on and that when they or the organizers so when I say they it could be a single person or organization approach these conversations they already have some sort of idea or or have some sort of basis for how to respond to some of these challenges or how others might have responded to these challenges or some of the things that are already kind of like out there about it because I think it can feel really tiring to constantly come to these groups and kind of expect them to give you all the answers when someone answers ready there and it's just about like opening a book or typing into Google or the moon finding yeah yeah I think there are there are already like I get there's a lot of stuff out there and sometimes it can be overwhelming but I think in the same way that they are having to educate themselves we are also having to kind of like understand our experiences for educating ourselves so yeah I think taking off the responsibility from those from racialized backgrounds to be the ones to educate you I think then coming to those conversations already feels like okay cool like we're starting on like the same I guess like the same playing field like people even if people have different levels of knowledge but they're already coming into room for some sort of understanding would help with being able to have those kind of conversations and I think thinking about the language that's used thinking about the framing of the conversations and really coming in open and I think that's what all people that come into these conversations really coming in open to receiving what is being shared but particularly when thinking about people from for example black communities or people within how can I say groups within those communities so 
those who may be black and disabled or black and a woman and gay and do you know what I mean how those identities might intersect and then impacts on a person's outcomes or impacts on a person's experience being able to hold space for that I think is really important sometimes it's just having the conversation feels like it's a relief already just being able to have a space where you can share these things and yeah I think action in these so not just having the same conversations day in day out because I think when we're looking across the news or looking across media for example in Britain the conversations that we're having about race feels like the same conversations we've had for like the last longer than I've been alive kind of thing <laughs> Do you know what I mean so it feels like we're repeating so I know the other day I saw something around like oh is is race is racism real or is race important and it's like why is this a question we're having we're asking in 2022 so I think there can be a frustration some people are like is racism real is a race real and it's like why is that a question we're asking in 2022 like yeah let's get it together and try and get to a point where we're actually having more constructive conversations and thinking about like okay and the impacts of racism and we know that it is real and what can be done on a systemic level within communities on an interpersonal level to be able to respond to these challenges and the right people in the room and I think also thinking about the intersection of like class as well and like socioeconomic background however you want to phrase it just yeah I think intersectionality is a really key thing when we're having these conversations so that we're not assuming what the experience might be and Although there may be loads of shared experiences, there may be differences in how that it might impact the person. And I think there's also something around like knowing what conversations to be part of or knowing which conversation needs to be held by someone else. Because it's not it's not every conversation, for example, that I need to be part of or being leading on. So if someone came to ask me about the experience of a black disabled woman, that is not my experience to speak on because it, you know what I mean, I couldn't do it just yeah. yeah. I think knowing, okay, who needs to hold this space, who needs to facilitate this space, who needs to be in the room when we're having these conversations, which sometimes can, like sometimes there's a gap and it can be difficult and maybe a reluctancy because people maybe are tired of having these same conversations or just don't know where these conversations are happening. And I think this it's important to have like a timeline or a understanding of where you want to go with this. So now that we've had this conversation, how are we going to action this as an organization? For example, how are we as a mental health organisation going to become more actively or make it more explicit that we are anti-racist and what how does it show up in the way that we work? How does it show up in the work that we do? For example, if it's a youth charity, how do we better support the experiences or amplify the experiences of young people from these backgrounds? How do we ensure that we're working towards that point and actively campaigning or doing work around this? And I think, yeah, just being cautious about who is being put on the front line as well to have those conversations and how we support them and to offer them I think other people probably have a lot more to add but those are the things that are coming to mind yeah good yeah that's really good points and you mentioned about like being about being proactive about you know not just having those conversations but react to them and like having those action points and in terms of like with the young how in what kind of ways do you encourage them to be active in their own communities or or with the things that they're passionate about whether it's justice or mental health like so I think peer research is a really big one so across most of our projects or where we can in our projects we try to implement peer research that the young people are leading the work around understanding and finding out more about the experiences and the responses or what other young people believe should be the responses to some of the challenges that are brought up so 
for example, they'll be involved in or leading in developing the questions that might want to ask around a certain topic. So one deciding the topic. So for example, within MHFMU's work, we've we did some sessions around peer research. So one, the first couple of sessions were sharing the knowledge and skills from the research team with them about how to ask a research question how to decide a topic how to kind of like frame questions and language that you you would use particularly if it's a sensitive topic and then gave them the kind of like chance to develop ideas around what topics might want to focus on and so they landed on mental health within education and particularly understanding the experiences of those from like who are seen as at higher risk or at greater need so for example those young people who may be care leavers or young people from racialized backgrounds or young people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and they were really keen to like ask questions that would kind of tap into some of those experiences so we worked together with them and collaborated with them for them to develop the questions for the focus groups and interviews and the survey and then we supported them to kind of like refine those questions thinking about how we might reword them or rephrase them and then they would lead with our support in facilitating those interviews or those focus groups and also facilitating their own interviews one-to-one interviews with people in their network so it might be friends or it might be people within their college or unis and having those conversations around what the experiences of an education and then we'd also work with MHS to think about how can the insights that they get from this work kind of influence the work that you're already doing or how can it influence long term or what other ways can they be involved but I think that in itself of being able to develop skills of doing research for one but then also being able to run that on a project that you're passionate about is a way that we would encourage them to like get involved in that kind of like work within their community. Yeah that's a really good point and you talked about being active and how important that is to encourage being active in your community. How would you encourage your young people within your group to like take action in their own communities and take lead on things that they're already passionate about whether that's like mental health or I don't know music or literally anything yeah so like how would you encourage them yeah to just follow what they're passionate about and begin making a difference yeah being part of like conference I think we're going to try and do more of this next year but we definitely do this across our across our other projects but being involved like I mentioned those roundtable events or conferences to be able to bring in their experiences but also to share decision makers these are the recommendations that we're proposing what are your reflections and I feel like it is it's a really when done well and when done safely and holding that space for the young person and ensuring that we're there advocating and supporting that young person in that space but when done well it can be a really great way to for young people to be advocates within their own communities and being involved in that changing things within their communities and I think some of the young people so one of the young people that we work with started as a mental health society at her college and like mm. raise awareness around mental health within yeah across young people raising awareness about how mental health might be impacted by like things of an education and work on staff to be able to like find better ways of working with young people or stuff within like the policies that might change so yeah encouraging them to be active in that sense and a lot of them are already active in their communities so whether it's like some of them are features in their local newspaper some of them are already doing work around mental health or beyond so yeah I think we try to in the ways that we can support them to be able to carry out their passions in the way that they see fit and in the ways that they they would like to so some people like to write blogs or just generally writing around at key points in the year so some people might support and do work in the mental health awareness we can MHF 
Yeah, so just different ways and ways that they feel comfortable doing as well, but also facilitating and carving out space for that within the projects that we do. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. That sounds really, really good. And it must be so rewarding to see them like go on to just make their own changes and be a part of these things. That's so cool because ultimately that's the goal really, isn't it? To see them just, yeah pursuing what they're passionate about and knowing that they can make change with their voices that's so good and that leads us nicely on to our last two questions what is your mental health manifesting I think I would say beyond just but I feel like better support kind of falls flat because we say it all the time but better support for young people's mental health in a way that is meaningful and actually in exchange so across systems, across institutions, in their community, interpersonally, moving beyond just seeing mental health as an individualised problem and really understanding how factors like race and other elements that intersect with that impact on people's mental health and what can be done to, and actively working with the communities, with people across systems to respond to that and to better the outcomes for them so and I think that goes a little bit beyond mental health because things like poverty and things lack of good housing or discrimination or racism all those kind of things impact on mental health so yeah moving beyond an individualized way of understanding or responding to mental health feels really important that's not denying that medication or support of through therapy or support within services is not important but I think there really needs to be a focus on one what is going on systemically and how that impacts on people's mental health and not ignoring or denying that so for example living in bad housing and not being able to come home to a space where you feel safe and safe both like psychologically but safe physically as well mm-hmm. and at higher risk of like physical health difficulties will impact on your mental health yeah. and there are people who are dis- yeah by that who often are from lower class backgrounds who are often from racialized groups but also just being able to yeah understand what mental health means to people and being able to support people and and responding to that and yeah just I guess creating better support for community at a community level for young people for communities generally and it feels like a very big task but I think if we have if we frame it as everyone is involved, this is everyone's problem, everyone's business, then it makes it easier because everyone is involved in responding to this rather than just one or two people. And I think there's yeah, these are people who have a lot of insight and a lot of experience who can work with this. And I think it just, it will take a lot. And I think but working to dismantle or respond to systemic issues is one of the biggest challenges, but it's really important. If you could go back and say anything to your younger self, what would it be? I have that question. I think the one thing that's come into mind is that it's okay not to know what comes next. And I think just being able to reach out for support if you need it, like not be ashamed to do so, which is a lot harder to do, like to actually do when, when I'm hearing it even now as I'm hearing it, I'm like, if I needed to reach out for support, it really depended on what it was. But I think just being able to say, like, I'm struggling and, like, I really need help and knowing, like, the right... And I think I would also just try and direct to the right places because sometimes I was ready 
even if it was just for a moment I was ready to reach out for support but just didn't know where to go mm-hmm. and I think in terms of saying not knowing what coming next I think we're so used to telling young people to like plan their whole lives and know exactly what you want to do after school and know exactly what you want to what you want to study at uni and what you want to do for your long term in career up to your 40s or 50s it's like it's okay to just be in this space and know that okay cool I want to this is what I want to learn or this is what I want to develop or this is what I'm passionate about and moving in that direction rather than moving in what you feel you have to do which is hard but will be a lot more rewarding because there's so many things that you will learn from being in different spaces so reach out if you're struggling and it's okay to not know what comes next which kind of amazing and oh thank you so much for joining me thanks so much for listening to compassionate conversations series two you can find us on single parents well-being don't forget to subscribe and tune into our next episodes see you soon